the Scholars and Iron Podcast. The differences are monumental, but the goal is the same, and it's amazing to watch. Like, if you're a fly on the wall and you get to stand back there, just observe this, because it's staggering to see the differences for people that have literally the same goal and how they combat it. Good morning, and welcome to the Scholars and Iron Podcast. I'm your host, Joe, coming to you from outside the nation's capital, right here in the DMV. The objective of Scholars and Iron is very straightforward. It's to associate strength training with intellectual endeavors. On the show, we'll examine the connection between capitalism and CrossFit, philosophy and powerlifting, all to raise some hell and even a few questions. By the end of each episode, we'll get one rep closer to living the phrase, civilize the mind, but make savage the body. Now come on, let's lift. I want to sincerely thank everyone who has supported Scholars in Iron. Whether you listen to one episode or all of them, I'm deeply appreciative. It's September 30th, 2020. And it was exactly one year ago today when this podcast was first launched. Mike Bevers, a close friend but really a brother of mine, we both went through academia with a sense that we only explored a certain aspect of our being, our mind, but that our bodies were rarely, if ever, an object of growth and development in their own right. Since then, I've had the pleasure of interviewing coaches and trainers, powerlifters and poets, to look at this curious nexus between mental fortitude and what I call corporeal knowledge. And so I wanted to end the first year of Scholars in Iron with a friend who's made a big impact in my own strength development, Blaine Doolin. Blaine Doolin is a NASM-certified personal trainer and powerlifting coach here in Northern Virginia. Blaine's trained numerous champs in powerlifting of all ages, and today we talked about differences that he's observed when it comes to powerlifters of both gender as well as various ages. So let's get into it. So Blaine, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your background with training and strength? I started as an endurance athlete for most of my young and uh, into my adult life. And then, like uh, most guys, want to be bigger. Obviously, it feels great to get in the gym and do put on some size, feel good about it. Started learning little things back in college when I was there. Ran into a guy in Christiansburg who owned a gym. Boo was his name. He had another gym, but he started a new one in Christiansburg. And I joined up there because he said, I was going to have my roommate join. But the guy said, hey, we'll give you 48 hours. Like, if you just want to cancel your membership, you can sign no thank you, in 48 hours, and we won't charge you a penny. Said, but here's our rate. It was a reasonable rate. It was a very bare bones. It was some equipment he could get from whoever he got. He set the thing up. It was in an industrial park kind of a place. This guy got me into lifting heavier. He got me into form. He got me. He convinced me that I could do things like... like he, We didn't get to this point because well, only because I didn't lift with him long enough. He was like, yeah, we'll bench 315. I'm like, well, I've never done more than 225. I weighed 180 at the time, something like that. He got me the first time ever to squat 315, which is a big deal for a, a runner, <laughs> like an endurance athlete. That was kind of good. Got me really into the lifting side of it. I was into the cardiovascular. I was into the endurance. I was, you know, got, taught me a bunch about it. No certs, no nothing. Just guy was there, wrote every exercise down, wrote every weight down. Was there for you when you needed it. I also had an intern other days where I was actually buying sessions from both of these two at the time. I was paying for training. And they got me interested in it taught me that I could do it, like with the effort and everything else. His stepdaughter was an assistant manager at Lifetime Fitness in Fairfax. 
and got me an interview and a gig there just with kind of the name an interview on my own but the name got me in there and Sarah Walls was her name she's no longer there but she started from there started knowing zero about actually training people I got into the effect of being in a gym and working with people and trying to better myself and just from there essentially a couple certs later picked up how to do it better myself and how to train people better and better and better. So you've been at this for close to 15 years. As a trainer and coach, what sorts of changes have you seen in the fitness industry? Some of the biggest things, back then they were still had valleys. They would promote gym membership and they wouldn't promote trainers at all. I mean, they may have had some, but nobody knew about it and it wasn't a full-time gig, it wasn't a full-pay gig, it was a second job or it was a job that you were doing. Not a whole lot of people did it for the masses is the best way to say it. People expected to be able to work out on their own and everything else. Now they promote the trainers just as much as they promote the gyms, the training as much as they promote the gyms. So for starters, they have figured out a new revenue stream. So for the most part, the training gig is a sales gig more than a goal gig as far as the corporation or the gym looks at it, for most part. Not for all, but that's painted with a broad brush here. Before you used to be able to do it on your own or try it on your own and then ask people for help and play around with it. Now you need an expert. You'll see a whole lot of people either pick the brain of or sign up for training because they don't think they can do it on their own or don't know anything about it. Because we do have some more people with certifications and we do have some people out there that at least look the part and are hanging out in the gym for that reason. I'll go through a couple of goods and bads real quick. The great thing is there's so many avenues. There's so many different people with so many different levels. Like you can find a guy who played college football that's training in your gym if you want to get a little stronger or you want your kid to train like a football player. They've gone through it. Uh, we got endurance athletes. We got, you know, you got uh, yoga instructors, Pilates people. You got people that know some different avenues and everything. It's fantastic because there's not one stamp it. That's this for everybody. It's just, it's, they can't work. There's so many different people, so many different types. In the same vein, most people think of it as a job, not a career. They think of it as the money aspect. So most people don't attempt to get better at it. They just go, here's what I know. I'm going to give this to this person, no matter what their goal tends to be. And I don't mean to denigrate the, the industry, but I see that a whole lot when anybody walks in the gym and then you convince them that your way is the way they want to do it versus the other way around. Versus the person coming into the gym and telling them, I want this, and then you molding your means, your method, your type around the other person. It's tough to do in a lot of aspects because nobody can know everything. So if somebody comes in and they want to do horse racing, I have no, like other than getting them in shape and getting them stronger the same way I would get a, a lifter strong, I have no idea how to train somebody to ride a horse better other than getting on a horse. My job is not to get you better at horse racing. My job is to get you stronger and faster with less injury. And if you can do that right, but you can cater it to some level of what it, functionality, whether it's lifestyle, whether it's just getting through the day, or whether it's actual sports specific, Fantastic. As I hear you speak, I can't help but think about the phenomena of online coaching. And I think you're right. As a coach and trainer, you really do need to get to know the person you're going to be training in a very subjective manner. And oftentimes, I think you have to do that by experiencing them, you know, directly. First of all, we're not all built the same. You know, we have some idiosyncrasies. Some people have, you know, long torso and short legs and vice versa. So how long does it take for you to get to know somebody in that physical way? It's a little bit of a loaded question, but okay. Somebody who knows how their body works, month and a half. If you take an athlete who's 14 to 28, 
they can tell you what's wrong, what's feeling bad, what's everything else. If something's not quite right that day, if they feel their knees rather than their glutes when they're doing a squat, you know, if you can't pick it up, shoulders are messing with them, but they can point out where. Now take somebody that's 65, has arthritis, has mobility issues, has other things, and things just hurt, it's a whole lot more difficult to pinpoint what's messing with them and what they can move on a certain day and things like that. Because if you wake up every day and your back hurts and you ask somebody to do deadlifts, they're not going to want to. Now you got to figure out a way to get them to do enough mobility, enough strengthening. I want to say stretching, but it's not necessarily, but loosening up so that they're okay to do some strengthening in an exercise that they're uncomfortable doing. But they got to be able to do it before you just throw weight on the bar or force them to do it or they even want to. Call it a month, six weeks for an athlete. Call it three months for somebody who has no idea how to move their body, who doesn't think they can do anything and is in some kind of discomfort or pain most days and in between for everybody else. This also may be a little bit of a loaded question because I think too, it lends itself to be more subjective from person to person. But at what point does a person hit their genetic wall? I know that genetics is a term that is thrown around a lot especially in sports like bodybuilding. So I just wanted to hear your thoughts on that. <laughs> That's a really good question. But you're going to find a limitation at some point in time. A lot of it because you didn't put enough effort in. To expand on genetics, people have more testosterone. People have more HGH. People that sleep more tend to have more than that. People that eat more red meat tend to have even more than that. But there's a genetic component to all of it. So you're, it's not a level playing field. So you're going to see people that are head and shoulders above no matter what. Like, if you pick up all the 12-year-olds on the planet, they're about the same. 10-year-olds are even more, like, girls and guys. Like, they're get them all in a race. That You're going to find people that, the ones that trained a little harder when they're 8, are going to run a little faster. Other than that, they're about even. Then you start getting the, the hormones, testosterone, everything else that changes body. You know, they go through puberty. When you see that, you can usually pick out the ones that are going to be really well-crafted at some kind of athletic endeavor, how they can move their body, if they're clunky or if they're smooth, if they're growing up and out rather than just staying put, things like that. But when you, your main question is adults, I'm guessing. 25 and up, we'll go with that because, I mean, you can do college athletes, but they're still following a coach's thing. So they're they're being instructed to do it, not doing it on their own. So we'll, we'll start up there. When you hit a spot with somebody who's pushing as hard as they can, and it's not necessarily an injury, but there's a plateau, and there's something that's holding them back, usually one could be a genetic component, and there's several things you can do, supplements you can take, uh, dietary, whatever, the sleep, as well as foam rolling, voodoo floss, all the mobility tools that we have that weren't accessible. When I was running in college, they didn't have a foam roller. It didn't exist. So the, the mobility tools now, can help get past that genetic barrier it's on some level but there is going to be a point where you can only throw a baseball so fast the human body can only do it no matter what your levers are no matter what your strength is Usain Bolt as amazing as he is he ain't breaking any more record of his own records same thing with Michael Phelps there's a point where the body just goes hey that's there's my physical peak and there's my limit it's tough to see in a person but if they're communicating with you you can hit that that line Um, one of the ones I felt was doing bench press and I was not great at bench press I was good at it I was over 300 like 310 305 310 I never got to 315 so like I wish I had three plates and I never got there but my forearms literally felt like when I was holding that weight 
the muscle was glued to the bone on some level or was compressing the radius and the ulna and it would cause pain in the forearm and I don't know if that was because I didn't do enough weight bearing as a younger kid I don't know if I was I don't think I was gripping it wrong I don't think the form was improper but there was definitely a level where my body was like nope that's enough like that's now maybe I could have gotten past that with some more training with more strengthening but at the time I was doing everything I could to be as strong as anybody else who walked in the doors of the gym in my mind that was my genetic max for my bench press and it landed there whether or not it was true whether or not I could have done some techniques loosening up the forearms getting more out of that uh, changing the form up on the bench we didn't have cell phones that would take camera pictures or videos back then so you couldn't film yourself you depended on somebody else's eyes to train you things like that so perhaps I'm taking a leap but in my mind I hit one of those plateaus right there and there was no easy way around it and the, the work that I was already putting in the workouts seemed like as much as I could give my body at that time so the mobility and stuff took a back seat which is usually the case in my humble opinion. There seems to be such a plethora of programs now. You know, you talk to some of the powerlifters who came about in the 70s and 80s and even early 90s, and it appeared a lot more simple. So does the diversity of programs even matter? Like, are they all more or less derivative of each other? The positive response to your question is absolutely they matter because they allow people to not get bored with their programming. If I hand you a sheet of paper with the same workout on every single week, a lot of people are going to get bored with that a month in and go, screw this, I'm going to do something else. Potentially, at the very least. There are some hardcores that are going to stick with it no matter what. They'll just listen to the person who's telling them because they want to get better and this is the way to do it. Go look at P90X. Look at some of the crazy ones out there. There's progression to all of them. Uh, in fact, I was just talking to a buddy of mine, Frank Meyer, who's a go-to guy for me for exercise science questions. I was talking to him on the way here about this. The ones that you get results from have a linear or positive progression going through the program the exercise now there's a restart when you get back through the whole system but you're hopefully starting a level up so even your restart is a progressive level up so the question is do they all matter yes to some extent so that you don't get bored everybody has different flavor ice cream they can choose from you know what i mean but in a sense you could boil it all down to here's step one here's step two here's step three now from step three let's go to step 1a step 2a step 3a then just progress up from there that's ideally the, the best way to do it. Like you, you and I both know, I, the Russians pretty much figured that out back in the, the 60s. And uh, everybody's been trying to build up off of that. Find a more experimental way to do it better that doesn't seem so simple because simple seems too easy. Well, and it seems too that the culture, to use that phrase, continues to cut down on attention spans. I mean, I think about when we were kids, you know, video games or electronics, they didn't really dominate our time as much as I feel like they do today. You know, they were, they were just part of a day for a kid. You know, most of it was spent running around like idiots or riding bikes or playing sports and so on. To piggyback off of that, when's the last time you saw somebody go out for a run without headphones in? Everybody needs a distraction, and it's so much easier to distract yourself and do the thing than actually to engage directly in it. You're, you're absolutely right. You know, to be honest, I had AirPods at one point, and I'd wear them when I was lifting, but I lost them. And... To be honest, I'm kind of glad that I did lose them. You know, I think with the younger generation, Gen Z, you know, they all wear those big Beats by Dre headphones. I guess I'm too old to appreciate their aesthetics, but they look kind of stupid. But anyway, you know, even at meets, when they're competing, they're allowed to use these headphones when they're doing the lifts. It's unbelievable. It really reminds me of the scene from a boxing movie from like a decade ago where 
this young boxer is about to take a run and he puts in his headphones and then his trainer's like, no, you're going to learn to motivate yourself. And he rips him from his ears. And he's right. You know, what happens when your battery dies and you're halfway through a set? What happens to that motivation that's given to you? Have you ever seen Dave Tate's Into the Void? Dave Tate from Elite FTS. Don't read the transcript, but look up the video Into the Void. And it's great. It's a motivational thing. It's him talking about essentially, he, has he ever doubted himself? And he essentially says, I've been doing this for 40, 50 years. Of course, there's times where I think I can't. Like, of course. You watch him in the middle of training trying to explain it to. To get to the point, at some point in time, he'll be on the ground panting after a set of something exhausting and terrible. And somebody will pull out his headphones. What do you listen to? And it'll be Christina Aguilera. Like, who gives a shit what's in your ears? Like, that ain't the thing that should be motivated. Who cares what the song is? If that's the thing you need to get you up, then you you might not be motivating, like, to your point, the right way. And Blaine, I wanted to ask, what are some of the bigger myths that you've heard with regards to training? You can't do it because you're too old. You can't start lifting weights because of your age so-and-so or you're going to get hurt. There's always a potential to get injured. Anybody who's ever lifted weights somewhat regularly has had some kind of injury. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the, the thing that's going to be debilitating that's going to stop you from living your life or doing something. And I currently train two world record holder septuagenarians. Those are women in their 70s. They're grandmothers. And one of them uh, was so amazing, the other one wanted to start competing. So almost every time somebody who doesn't know what my 75-year-old client is doing, who you've met and you've seen, and she looks like a little old grandmother when she walks in the gym, and then she picks up 235 for warm-up, and she gets up to 280 on a great day, and hopefully 300 soon. Somebody who doesn't know her, or doesn't know what she's capable of, goes, you're gonna hurt yourself, you probably shouldn't do that. Somebody will come up to my client and tell her that when she's walking to the water fountain or doing something else. Like, yeah, you shouldn't do that, you're gonna hurt yourself. It's interesting because, yes, you can. Very easily hurt yourself doing that kind of weight, no matter what your age is. I've popped my back doing 65 pounds, moving it for somebody else. Okay, I, I understand the risks, I understand that. If you do it right, if you're careful about it, if you do the proper warm-up, if you do the proper cool-down, and you take care of any issues that come up on along the way, contrary to either, even some of the doctors she's talked to, like not I'm doctor, doctors, not uh, chiropractors or anything like that, but there are some people out there that will say, like, never do deadlifts. If you do them wrong, you're absolutely right. If you do them right, they're awesome. <laughs> so... You can take someone who never thought they'd ever pick up a weight. She started when she was 62. She never lifted a weight in her life. She's 75. She has 17 world records in power, 100% raw powerlifting. If you just keep showing up, it doesn't matter what your age is. If you ignore signs, you're going to hurt yourself. If you pay attention to your body, if you let your trainer know, if you let whoever know, if you go get work done when you need it, and you do the form right, the limit you think you have is the bottom. The top is you haven't even fathomed that yet. There seems to be a small yet vocal community which is coming out against the idea that obesity is a limiting factor with regards to health or even sports performance for that matter. Now obviously I'm talking to a trainer but I don't necessarily want to assume what you'll say. Where do you stand on this issue of obesity? So to be perfectly honest both of us sitting here are classified as obese. Both of us are in what most people would say better than average shape. So we're capable of more and we do exercise regularly. That's the more important takeaway. It's not, people will argue with this and I, if I come off sounding naive, I apologize. But yes, it's harder on your heart every pound you put on. 
I think it's your blood has to travel an extra mile every pound you gain in your body before it gets recirculated through your heart okay, and oxygenated again. When your heart is active and when your heart is healthy, when you're doing stuff to benefit that, especially when you have a goal, powerlifting, size matters, things like that, offensive linemen, they need the, they need the weight, they need the size. It's not that time that messes with them. It's when they stop doing that, they stop their lifting, they don't have a goal anymore, and then they, they go. It's more of the lethargy that goes along with the obesity that is the actual problem in my mind. If you're active and obese and trying, your heart's still going to be relatively good and hopefully relatively good. I don't want to suppose for everybody. You're at least continuing to, we'll say, better yourself. Yes, it's they call it an epidemic for a reason. There's way too many people not exercising because, there's, like we talked before, there's way too many distractions. So it's the, the fact that you take the time to do the thing to get yourself in some kind of shape or get the heart and lungs going a little bit. Even if it's just breathing technique, even if it's just getting uh, oxygenation to the rest of the body, there's a couple techniques out for that as well. But we won't get into that yet. But that's as in, the breathing is as important as the actual exercise. The respiration and the heart is as important. And if you if that is the goal, if that is a constant, if that is something you're progressing with, even if it's small, that's more important than the obesity because that's going to keep the the, the body running. However, yes, it is a problem. Yes, it is something that everybody needs to work on. Some people have it for reasons. Most people have it for because of uh, they're lethargic. Here's the thing. If you're okay with being obese, just know that you're also okay with shortening your lifespan. It's been proven. Now, the activity can help you negate that. So be whoever you want to be. Just understand that when you get to the end, it's going to be a lot quicker than if you took some different routes, some avenues to perhaps... And this is a tough way to say it. Change your lifestyle for the better through more difficult way. Exercise is not easy. That's why everybody doesn't do it. Okay? Nobody wants to run 26 miles. The crazy people do. Okay? 26.2. But it's like if you can achieve something like that, you feel better about it. You put the work in. There's a reward afterward. There's an endorphin rush. When you lift the uh, PR, uh, you feel awesome about it. You had to put the work in to get there. That effort there is the thing that changes the lifestyle for the better. Not everybody's up for it. So if you're not up for it, that's I understand that completely. I've had my ups and downs. Everybody has. Through injuries, through other hardship, through not being into it that day. But just know that it will shorten your lifespan. That's guaranteed. <laughs> Marijuana is nearly legal now. That same thing. Suppresses testosterone, ups the estrogen, alcohol. Same thing. It's there's there's so many avenues to do that as well to put a nail on it. The same thing applies to those going the other way. I mean, look at Ronnie Coleman. Now he loves what happened and everything else. There's an extreme on the other side of it. If you never stop until your body breaks, you're also shortening your life that way too. There's an extreme on both ends. One is because you worked way too hard and didn't listen to anything and broke something. The other one is you didn't want to put the effort in to begin with. You've coached several powerlifting champs, men and women, younger and older. What are some of the bigger factors you see at play at these meets with regards to gender? For anybody who's listening, this is not because I want to point out differences from men to women. There are differences because of men and women. We are different. But it's I'm saying this with a smile, and it's a great observation. And if you ever get to a meet and you get to see this, if you're behind that curtain where everybody's warming up, it's amazing to watch. On the men's side, more boisterous. They You have to be a little more assertive to get on the bar you have to know what you want you have to be ready to roll you have to 
you have to be the alpha over there because you want to get in there, you want to warm up properly. Sometimes there's only two bars to warm up with. Sometimes you've got 40 lifters. So if you want to get your deadlift reps in, you can't be polite about it for on the male side. And then when they get on the platform, the first two lifts they barely think about most times. They know they got the first one. The best way to explain to me is you get woken up at 3 in the morning, what's the weight you want to deadlift? Okay, that's your opener. Your next one's something you know you can pull, but it's going to be challenging. Your third one's either your max or you're challenging your max. Okay, here's where, here's where the fun stuff comes in. Men, no matter what they're feeling, a lot of them will go over their max and try it for that lift on their third lift, and you'll see a whole lot of them. I've watched a guy pop his bicep off his elbow, uh, hip flexor tears for squats. Um, like, the guy's pale white, sit down in a chair. Like, I mean, like out for months because. Either they overload it, they got their adrenaline going, they don't, something a little wonky goes, and it's more weight than they've ever put on their back, and it's bang. <laughs> now, it doesn't happen all the time, but I've seen it happen, right? And a lot of guys do amazing in meets, and they're fantastic at it, and it's, the camaraderie there is fantastic. Like, people are cheering for each other to get the weights. It's, it's amazing. The women's side, much more polite back there, asking, can I jump in? Asking this, like, are you going next? Like, what, what's your opener? Like, they care about the other not that the guys don't care, but they care about the other people. Are they getting in the way more so than on the guy's side? And there are some freaking champions. There are some tanks on the women's side that I've watched lift. And they, um, even they, hey, you know, get it going. Like, uh, can I get in here? What are you starting with so I can get in the same amount of bars on the women's side? And it's there's conversation going more than I got to jump in here, like elbowing your way through a bit. The funniest thing I've ever seen on a women's side is not funny in the moment. It's funny looking back on it. I've watched a, a girl, and I um, early on I didn't want to. I didn't want to get into in some people's ways. Like uh, my first couple meets, I was unless they asked me a direct question, I wasn't going to help out because I don't want to screw with their training mindset, anything else. Maybe they got a system that I don't know. I've gotten a little more comfortable. I've seen people in meets three or four times. I'm a little more comfortable. Going, hey, you mind if I point something out or help you out with something? I have watched a woman miss her first lift because she was thinking about her third one. Then miss her second lift because she missed her first lift and then go up to her third lift and pick up what she wanted on her first one just to get on the board. The men are so screwed I'm in the moment I'm right here. Women tend to overthink everything and put it all and try to break it down before it comes up. The, there's a whole lot more, um, don't take this as a negative please there's a whole lot more tears on the women's side missing stuff there's a whole lot more hugging things like that trying to support each other whereas the guys just get mad punch walls and things like that like it's they, they scream at each other it's it's the differences are monumental but the goal is the same and it's amazing to watch like if you're a fly on the wall and you get to stand back there just observe this because it's staggering to see the differences for people that have literally the same goal and how they they combat it That's all we have for today, guys. I just want to thank Blaine Doolin for a great talk. Music by Robert Slump. For Scholars in Iron, this is Joe, signing off.